I didn't even get. Oh no, you're live now. Oh, I see it. Yes. Okay. All right. Oh yes. So, welcome to episode one of Dulas Dulas Discussions. Yes. Yes. My name is Joseph Kim. Uh, I am a senior at UC Berkeley, and I am not. Uh, neither of us are credentialed ministers of any sort. Um, this is. I'm David. I am a senior also at UC Berkeley, and like jo what Joseph mentioned, we are not credentialed <laughs> ministers or theologians. Uh, we're just two two brothers who really. Love to talk about God. Love to talk about faith. Answer questions, and so our vision for this kind of weekly broadcast is to take your questions through our Google form and point uh, our brothers and sisters to Scripture. Hopefully, to fall more deeply in love with Jesus and to get clarity in the process. So, uh, with that, our very first question comes from Selena. Actually, before that, we had a question that asked, "Which girl does David Lee like?" Guess you would have to watch, continue watching to find yeah, out, huh? It's a later episode. Um, <laughs> but the first question we're going to talk about today comes from Selena. What was the inspiration behind the name of the podcast? So, our, the name is Doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. David, you want to start us off with this one? Yeah. Uh, so, the word Doulos actually comes from the Greek word. It's pronounced the same way, Doulos. And this Greek word means slave. And this is actually a pretty common word that's used in the New Testament. Um, and in the English translations of our Bibles, it's usually translated as servant or bondservant. But um, the word that is actually used is more accurately translated as slave. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, the reason why we used, or we chose Duas to be the name of our kind of broadcast is because um, a doulas of Christ is one who has devoted his or her life to obeying and following Christ just as how Paul would introduce himself in his letters as Paul a servant of Christ more accurately Paul a slave of Christ so one who has completely sold out to follow and obey Jesus Christ um, I think uh, one of the distinctions that we kind of want to draw is like when it to our modern sensibilities when we think of slave we often think of slavery in the American South. Um, and actually, that's that's very frequently kind of the perception of slavery that people have. And so when they look at the Bible, like in the Old Testament, for example, and they see laws in Leviticus or in Deuteronomy regarding slaves, then they, they often raise the contention like, oh, the Bible endorses slavery. Uh, God endorsed what happened in the American South. But that's actually not true. God's, the prescription for uh, slavery at the time was when you were so destitute and so poor that you had absolutely nothing in your possession, uh, slavery was actually meant to be an institution whereby you could sell your services for a set amount of time, usually I think it was seven years or so, um, to a benevolent master who would care for you, feed you, clothe you, give you and protect you because they, they, needed, they needed you. Um, and so at the end of the seven years, if you chose uh, that you wanted to continue serving that master, then the slave would have their ear pierced, 
through the doorpost as a symbol of their lifelong dedication to that master. And so the relationship between slave and master that God prescribed actually in the Old Testament is not one of, of cruel exploitation, of kidnapping, of abuse, uh, as was pretty much typified in the American South, but rather it was this relationship between a, uh, a slave who was in complete dependence on their master and loving obedience to and submission to that master, but also the master who had uh, selfless care and sacrificial care for that slave. And that, in fact, kind of uh, it typifies the relationship that we have with Christ, who is our Lord. So in the same way, we uh, lovingly serve Jesus our whole lives, and Jesus laid down his life for us, and he is our good master, our benevolent master who takes care of us. Yeah, that's doulas. Yeah, uh, I guess just one thing I would add on top of that is, when God prescribes these laws uh, regarding slaves to the Israelites, it's actually right after they have come out of Egypt. Mm. And when God calls his people out of Egypt, he doesn't just say, I'm calling them out so that they're just free to do whatever they want. Yeah. But he calls them out so that they can worship him and serve him. Right? And that becomes a picture that we have when Christ calls us out of our sins. Yeah. Right? That he calls us out from a master who enslaves us, who treats us poorly. Right? And he sets us free from that master. And now we have a new master in Christ um, who, like what Joseph mentioned, loves us, cares for us continues to care for us right not, not only does he die to pay for our sins but he continues to do that and kind of on that i think um where is it romans six six, six. yes romans <laughs> six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah pulled up already yeah romans six is like a perfect chapter uh to further study this sort of dynamic um going from slavery to one master to another just as david was saying like the the picture of the is of Moses leading the Israelites through the Red Sea, uh, out of bondage to Pharaoh, uh, and into the wilderness. It wasn't just so that they could wander, but rather so that they could serve a new master, a new Lord, um, who is God Himself. And in the same way, Jesus leads us through the waters of baptism, in out of slavery to our sin, where once we were helpless and we were only capable of obeying that that ma that master's sin. Um, but again, like in Romans 6 is where Paul describes how the wages that we deserve for following that master is nothing short of death. That the works that we did while under sin were led to death. But now that Christ has redeemed us and we belong to a new master, Christ, the, the works that we do in righteousness lead to life and salvation. Yes. Romans 6. Yeah. 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 I guess uh, in relation to this question and uh, a more both historical and also a theological issue that I was kind of thinking about when trying to answer this question is uh, the issue of lordship salvation. And for those that uh, may not be too familiar with the issue is that like um, a group of Christians started calling themselves a carnal Christian, like carnal, like of the flesh, right? And saying that although they were genuinely saved, right, they still have not called Jesus as their Lord. So in order to try to excuse themselves in living in their sins and continuing to do the sinful things that they were doing, uh, 
And uh, we want to make it clear that you can't be saved unless you call Jesus Christ your Lord. Mm. And that means if you genuinely call yourself a Christian, then that means obedience is something that we ought to do in light of the grace that we have received. Um, just one passage that I think of real quickly. Uh, it comes from Romans 10, uh, verses, verse 9. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's not just us just saying the statement that Jesus is Lord, right, that saves us, but it's us really believing that Jesus is Lord over everything in our lives. And for God to be Lord isn't just a portion that we give, but God must be Lord over everything in our lives. Yeah. Well, my follow-up question to that then is, what does it mean then to call Jesus your Lord? What does that actually look like? Mm. Oh, you're asking me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How does Christ exercise that Lordship? It's really hot. I'm plugging our phone, or our fan. Wait, say what you want to say first, and I'll bounce, bounce <laughs> off. <laughs> um, actually, before before we get in, into that particular point, um, I think we also still need to make the distinction that we are still saved by faith alone. Mm. Um, that salvation is not predicated on a confession of faith plus good works, but rather, uh, just like how James said the, in the book of James, like true saving faith, living faith, manifests in a transformed life. It manifests in good works. And so good works always accompany true justification, true transformation. So in that way, like when we say that you cannot be saved unless Jesus is also your Lord, that doesn't actually add any additional requirements to salvation. Rather, it is saying that being saved and falling under the Lordship of Christ are, are uh, occur in the same event. Yeah. That when we are saved, we are simultaneously set free from sin, but under a new master who is Jesus. And then the question I was asking earlier, how exactly does Jesus actually exercise that Lordship? It's how any sovereign exercises his rule. It's through their word, through their written commands, right? Like um, in medieval times, it would be kings issuing decrees, or even in the ancient Near East, these like um, emperors or kings uh, would issue commands verbally or write them down and seal them up. And that was how they would exercise their rule. In the same way, God has given us his, his words. His, his rule is exercised through his word, uh, both in the act of creating all things, like when he spoke, let there be light, and, and creation had no choice but to appear, but also in the life of the Christian where we are to submit to his his rules through obeying his him and his word yeah yeah which i think even plays more into the idea of doulos mm. right um i can't think of the other greek words for uh servant because there are actually greek words for just meaning servant like a higher servant mm-hmm. servant who gets paid mm-hmm. right but paul and writers of the new testament make a very conscious decision to use the word doulos mm-hmm. right and I think when doulos means slave, master, master is the opposite, I guess, word for that, right? Which also is translated as a Lord in our New Testament Bibles. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. 
And I think uh, to add like one last or one more point to all this discussion about like what does it mean to follow Jesus after you've been saved? Paul directly addresses this at the beginning of chapter 6 where he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so this is like, I think the way that a lot of people tend to characterize obedience to Christ after salvation is like out of gratitude for what Jesus did. Because we're so grateful for what Jesus did, we should live in this way. Or like, like how? Or or, or it, even when it comes to like rebuking or reproving our brothers and sisters, we'll say like, "How can you keep sinning like that when you know what Jesus has done for you?" Right? Like, mm-hmm. how can you do him like that? Right? Like, but I, I think the the issue with that is it it ultimately turns the gospel into a, a guilt trip of sorts, mm-hmm. where it makes people kind of see like, "Oh, well, I I guess I have to obey Jesus just because like." I guess he did like a really cool thing for me or you know but that then the it can be so subtly twisted into like uh into the same predicament as as other religions have or they're just trying to do good things out of fear of retribution or mm-hmm. out of this guilt trip right yeah um but that that is not the the portrait of the christian life of obedience that the bible portrays instead what paul is saying is it's not just that we're acting in obedience out of gratitude because gratitude runs out pretty quick especially when things are going wrong in life and you don't feel particularly affectionate towards god right Um, but rather it is a spiritual reality that your old self which was enslaved to sin and had no choice but to follow your old sinful ways that self the moment that we are that we have faith in christ is crucified on the cross with Jesus it is killed on the cross with him forever um, and like cross-reference you can look into Colossians I think uh, one or one and two uh, about how Paul describes that process again in Galatians how uh, it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me so like that old self that old self that was completely enslaved to sin is dead now and we have received a new self again Paul in uh, was it first Second Corinthians, new creation. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, right? Like the old has gone and the new has come. We need to put off the old self and walk in newness of life. So the the call to obedience for a Christian is not obey because if you don't obey then Jesus you'll make Jesus feel bad. Or like obey because if you don't then like like I don't know, you're you're not grateful enough. Yeah. It's rather obey because that's who you are. Be who you already are. Be the the new man or woman that Jesus has already made you to be. Yeah. So that's what it means to be a slave to God. It's not just like uh, you're enslaved out of a sense of guilt, but it is you are you belong to Christ, therefore walk in His ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think understanding that reality in your life I think adds even more to the gratitude that you should have. You know. Not that you know, gratitude in itself is a bad thing. Yeah, right? yeah. It's a good thing. Yes. Right? And in gratitude and in joy and you know, all these other good things, we ought to obey Christ. Right? Or God, we ought to obey God. Right? But I think it, it can also very easily, like what you mentioned, be twisted into, oh, now I'm guilt-tripped you know, to do this. 
because I just have to do it. Right? But our obedience should be one of joy and you know something that like, we want to. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yes. That was a long-winded answer to explain the name of our <laughs> broadcast. <laughs> Pretty much. And for those of you who are viewing live, feel free to send in comments. We did not mention this at the beginning, but we actually do have a moderator who is off screen right now. Hyung is actually monitoring the comments. So if you would like to submit a question live while we are talking, then please do so, especially if it is to kind of supplement the discussion. Uh, <laughs> I did my lectures at school. <laughs> <laughs> right, thank you guys. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. Actually, I kind of want to pose this question, like, why does lordship matter? Hmm. Like, maybe even, like, beyond just our, in terms of our personal relationship to God, like, why, why does lordship matter to you? What do you think? Hmm. I think, uh, I think one, like, angle I would take that question is, it, I think it's a direct attack on who God is and who Christ is. If right? you don't. If you, yeah. Okay. Um, that's why it matters, right? And yes, I think obedience and like our call to obey after placing our faith in Christ matters, right? And they're important. But I think also afterwards, it's, it's a direct attack on who God is, right? God is sovereign. He's, uh, he's you know, in control over all things. He's higher than all earthly authority and whatever authority there is, whether it's spiritual or earthly. Yeah. And uh, l living for God is also, or here, let me try to phrase this. The purpose in which we were created for, mm -hmm. right, was one, yes, to enjoy God, right? But it's also to glorify Him, right? And to say that, oh, I have received this gospel, and I am going to take the benefits of it, yet without placing God in His rightful place, mm. right? And I think that's a direct attack on who God is. And I think that's why, at least in, in one angle, I think that's why this issue is so important. Yeah. It's not just like us and whether we're living a moral life or whatever, you know, or whether like we, and all the, our obedience and our, um, the way that we stay in line with scripture is very important, right? But it's also an issue of who God is, yeah. right? I think also from a historical point of view, like God's plan of redemption was never just uh, on an individual scale. Like, yes, there, there are, there's always two aspects to salvation. There's the individual whom God has redeemed to himself, but there's also the macro plan of salvation. And if you observe the scope of, of history as, as portrayed in the Bible, it is always about God using that redeemed people to bring others around the world to mm -hmm. him as well, to display his glory around the world. And historically, like in, in the Old Testament, that was Israel, mm -hmm. his holy nation. Yeah. But what's really heartbreaking about the account of Israel is because they had the same sin problem that we have, um, because their hearts were hardened just like ours are before, we, before God intervenes and shows us Christ, um, they were unable to walk in obedience, unable to serve him as the only true God. And in fact, there are accounts of how or God would level these accusations against the Israelites saying like, like my name is blasphemed among the nations because of you, that these other surrounding nations know that you worship the God Yahweh, and yet this is how you behave. 
And so they have a low view of me, Yahweh, right? Uh, and, but it, in, it, it's especially heartbreaking because God's design for this nation was to be a nation that displayed God's splendor and his holiness and his goodness, his justice, his righteousness. Um, and so we flip ahead to the New Testament and in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Peter says that we Christians are the new holy nation, that we are the continuation of God's plan of redemption. And in that same way, in chapter 1, he actually repeats the exact commandment found in Leviticus that we are to be holy just as he is holy, that we are to exemplify God's, God, God's righteousness and his justice and his love to the nations so that when the nations see God's people, they get an accurate portrait of who God is. And I think following Jesus, submitting to his lordship, uh, displaying his character and obeying his commands plays such a huge role in that. And we can see why that could go, like where that went wrong, even in the early church, like when we read Paul's letters to the Corinthians, right? How in 1 Corinthians, Paul is correcting so many of these abuses within the, er the early church in Corinth that that the, the name of Christ was being blasphemed and, and the, the people around the church in Corinth had such a low view of Christians because of how those Christians were behaving. It was because they were behaving out of line uh, or, or against the Lordship of Christ. Yeah. So there is that, not just in terms of your own relationship with God, but also there is that, that aspect of our witness and how we fall into God's actual plan. Yeah. Oh, comment. I'll tell you guys if there are <laughs> <laughs> Give us more questions, guys. Uh, do you want to go into the this one? Yeah. 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 So uh, another question that was actually submitted to us earlier this week from a brother named David um, regarding Christian doctrine. The question reads: Is habitual sin? A sign that someone is actually not saved, or was never saved to begin with. On the other hand, if they were saved to begin with, can that person lose his or her salvation because of habitual sin? That's a really good question. Um, I think the second part of that question is easier to answer. It's, it's clearer to answer. So the second part of the question was, if someone is saved, can that person lose their salvation because of habitual sin? And the clear answer, the biblical answer is no. You cannot lose your salvation. It is impossible to lose your salvation because salvation is not just uh, personal persuasion towards the gospel. It's not just intellectual, um, I guess, like acceptance of a set of doctrine, but it is a spiritual transaction. It is a spiritual exchange that, that, that occurs where your old self, your sins, and your shame is pinned on Jesus and paid for on the cross, completely wiped out, such that to the extent that God does not even remember your sin anymore, he does not hold it against you anymore. And at the same time, Christ's perfect account of righteousness, which he accrued over his lifetime on earth, is also counted towards you. It is applied to you such that when God the Father looks at you, he no longer sees your sin, but he instead sees only the perfect righteousness of his son Jesus. That's what we call justification. That's what it means to be justified, is to be right in the eyes of God. If that exchange has occurred, it cannot be reversed, right? 
that 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 just makes sense. It's not like God can undo his forgiveness of your sin and then pin it back on you and then remove Christ's righteousness from your life. Uh, on top of that, if he has already sent his Holy Spirit that moment of salvation that like Paul writes in Romans 8, how that, that Holy Spirit is like a seal of our salvation. It, it is like the guarantee, guarantee <laughs> that we will endure to the end. Um, so there is nothing in heaven on earth in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that we have through Christ Jesus, whether that be our own sin or attacks from the enemy or circumstance. There is no nothing, including our own sin, which can cancel out salvation if we have truly received it. Yeah. Yeah. I think a point I want to emphasize a little bit more is that it is God who makes all these transactions, right? Amen. And yes, it's true that we have, um, we choose in a sense, and uh, maybe we'll talk more about why it's a choose, mm. right? But yes, in a sense, we choose God, right? But it's God who gives us the faith, right? and it's God who makes that transaction, right? And it's God who is going to preserve and keep us till the end, right? Yes. That He who started a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right? Philippians one six. Mm. Okay, Hopi, we see your question um, talking about. Uh, homosexuality like affirming and non-affirming this is a whole um, kind of topic in and of itself so we we wouldn't want to just skirt over it within an episode we would probably want to devote a whole discussion to this one so thank you for this question we'll definitely, we'll save definitely it. keep it yes in we'll save it our for banks for next time thank yeah. you Hopi um, yeah so so again like back to back to what, what you were saying like how it is God who gives that faith um it also says in Hebrews that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. The one who allows us, enables us, and strengthens us to endure from beginning to end. And so, and like even when we reach the actual end and we, we see the angels praising God in heaven, the song that they're singing is salvation belongs to God alone. Mm. Meaning that we have no ability to, to uh, somehow diminish the work of salvation that God has accomplished in the life of a Christian who is truly saved because we are not the ones or salvation didn't depend on us to begin with. Now the first half of David's question is habitual sin a sign that someone is actually not saved? That's a much trickier question um, just because how do you define habitual and what is I guess like the, the, the state of or I guess that person's attitude towards their sin. Um, I don't know. Like, I think I think it's important to make clear right off the bat that every Christian without exception, no matter how long they have been truly saved, no matter how far along they are in the process of being sanctified, and to be sanctified means to be made more holy, to be made more like Christ. That is a process that begins the moment we are saved and continues on until either we die or Christ returns. Uh, by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's sanctification. Amen. So, no matter how far along a Christian is in that process, every Christian without exception struggles against sin. And often the same sins to varying degrees. Um, like, and I, I don't think that the presence of temptation in your life 
means that you are not saved because that is never said in the Bible yeah. that we will not be tempted. Or even the presence of an ongoing, reoccurring sin in yeah. your life. Yeah. Right? At the same time, like, again, it, it kind of, it, it, a lot of it kind of like, uh, it's very important to examine the, the attitude that we have towards habitual sin. Because if our attitude towards sin is, what's the big deal? Like, I'm forgiven, I'm covered, I'm under grace, I don't need to, to fix this part of my life, I want this. Then that's exactly the point that Paul was addressing that we were talking about earlier when it comes to lordship. Like, if your attitude towards grace is a flippant one, then you don't understand grace. And quite possibly, you don't understand the gospel. Because if you really take seriously the premise that there is a holy God and uh, he is a righteous and just God and you are a, a sinner who has deeply offended him uh, and is deserving of his eternal wrath and punishment. And yet God, that God whom you offended with every moment of your life in love and grace sent his only son to take on the infinite punishment which you deserved and rose again to offer you new life. If you really believe that in your heart, then I don't believe it is possible to take grace cheaply in that way. Um, now the difference between, I think, uh, a non-believer or a heretic even and uh, in simply immature Christian is what they do when presented with correction in scripture so like if for example David is in error and I notice that he is sinning habitually and I show him in scripture hey David when you do this particular thing I believe that that is a sin and I, I can show you here in scripture and David says, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't aware that I was doing that or I wasn't aware that, you know, that was a sin. I want to stop that. I want to break out of that habit. Then that was a case of just immaturity and growing. And everyone has to go through that. But if it's like, I don't care <laughs> that it, you, you show me that in the Bible, I'm not convinced by that or that has no bearing on my life. Then again, like if you refuse to submit to the authority of scripture and therefore the authority of Jesus, then it would be important to re-examine the state of your heart and see, yeah, what do you really believe about the gospel? Yeah. Huh? Well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I guess... I guess one more thing I would add is, like, not only is it possible for a Christian to struggle with an ongoing sin mm. right? but I also believe that it's possible that a Christian could fall into a serious serious yes. kind of sin yes. you know and and yet they're not beyond the point of redemption right um, just as Peter right mm. denied the Lord three times publicly right or David right David. yeah yes. just sinning in a very you know bad way right <laughs> we shouldn't laugh it, it is bad. Yeah. yeah very, bad. very um, bad i agree yeah yet you know yet what did they do after right mm. and and i think in in the gospel of john right mm. jesus even reinstates and and re peter has the chance to reaffirm his love for the lord yeah right and i think that's what's the difference between Peter and Judas, right? Who essentially did, did a quite a similar sin, you yeah, know, if we just compare it, right? Lord, yeah. yeah. Yet one repented, right? Because one was in Christ, right? And Christ preserved them, right? Pray for them. And pray for them, and one wasn't, 
Yeah. And that's the difference. Yeah. Our if 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 our salvation or maintaining our salvation depended on our performance as Christians, then there would be no Christians left. Um, no one would make it to the end. It is specifically because we have a high priest who intercedes on our behalf. It is because Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God at this present moment, praying for us and strengthening us that we are able to endure to the end. Um, and the scriptural basis for that is like in, I think it's in Luke something, where Jesus is warning Peter, like, Satan would sift you like wheat, but I, I have prayed for you, right? And and that's why Peter doesn't fall away. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's, it's kind of funny because Jesus says, when you fall, yes. right, strengthen yeah. your brothers. It's not even like if yeah. or if in, somehow. In the, in the case, yeah. yeah. But he just says when. Yeah. And then that's especially after Peter's like, no, I'll never betray you, Lord. <laughs> yeah. So I guess moving forward from that question, if if because like like full transparency, I struggle with habitual sins. David struggles with habitual sins. I don't know a single Christian who doesn't. Um, but again, like if in if in the midst of that habitual sin, you find that you are wondering about the state of your salvation, then take hope, knowing that. In Christ, you are saved once for all. Uh, that's that's a truth that's that's written out explicitly in Hebrews chapter ten that Christ died once for all for the payment of your sin. That when He was dying on the cross and He said it is finished, He meant it that your sin is completely paid for, past, present, and future. There's no such thing as purgatory where you'll have to go and make up for whatever sins that Jesus might have missed that fell through the cracks. Um, because Jesus or was you a didn't, perfect sacrifice. You didn't or that you forgot, for yeah, that you forgot to yeah. repent for. Um, that's that is strictly unbiblical teaching. Rather, because if you are in Christ, your sin is forgiven. It is paid for hundred uh, percent. That said, though, Christians need to live a life of continual repentance because we are still in our in our flesh. But I say that carefully because it doesn't mean that we are given over to our fleshly desires. It doesn't mean that we're helpless against our fleshly desires. But rather because of the redeeming work that Christ has done in us, we are able to resist, and we're able to strengthen, uh, or find strength and discipline ourselves, as Paul exhorts Timothy, to discipline ourselves to fight against our sinful selves, and to fight against our, our fleshly tendencies. But always, when we do fall, just as Jesus said, when you fall, when you sin, when you fail me, then come in repentance and, and receive forgiveness again. Oh, yeah. That's a good that's place, a good, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a pretty good place to end. Thirty-five minutes. Alright, bye. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. So again, we'll be doing this every Thursday at four p.m. Um, we will repost the the Google link. Um, we would love to receive more questions. Don't worry if you miss the live broadcasts because we will keep them up on Facebook. We'll also be starting up a YouTube channel where you'll be able to see um, these broadcasts with hopefully like timestamps and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, please keep submitting questions. Please keep praying for us as well because we don't want to speak in error and mislead people. 
um, again, our desire isn't to just like, oh, look how much we know, but rather like really to point people to the word and to the sufficiency of the gospel and how amazing God is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess with that said, I want to encourage everyone, like the answers that we can give are so limited, you know, mm-hmm. both in terms of depth or, you know, scriptural support or whatever. And we would do our best to prepare, we'll do our best to present of you know whether it's a compelling argument or what whatever the scripture says but our encouragement is that everyone sees for themselves in the bible yes. what god says because yeah. we're not the final authority of any of these things exactly you know? yeah. and um we and nor do we want to claim that we are the final authority right but our hope is that through this that there will be some exposure to various things about the christian faith that are so important to talk about and that we often may not consider at times right? yet there are these truths that are revealed in scripture and um, it's something that we want to encourage everyone to seek truth for themselves yes. in scripture <laughs> thanks for joining us everybody uh, and we'll see you next week or tomorrow at large group if you're part of living water oh amen <laughs> amen all right bye-bye bye bye